Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hi, uh, my name is Pilar Valdez, and I am the co-author of Rebel Homemaker, a new book that's out, and I co-wrote it with Miss Drew Barrymore. And I'm also a culinary contributor to her show, The Drew Barrymore Show. Before diving into this book, I'd like to thank my new sponsor, Bloomist. Bloomist creates and curates simple, sustainable products that inspire you to design a calm, natural refuge at home. I'm excited to announce they've just introduced a new tabletop and kitchen collection that's truly stunning. Visit bloomist.com and use the code COOKERY20 to get 20% off your first purchase or click the link in the show notes. Now on with the show. Can I tell you, I just adore the title of this cookbook. I love how the word rebel modernizes the word homemaker. And I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm a rebel homemaker. I'm a wife. I'm a mom to a teen and I manage our home. But I also host and produce three podcasts. And I'm constantly learning how to cook out of cookbooks. And it's not perfect. Being a rebel homemaker means many things to many people. How do you connect with the term rebel homemaker? Well, first of all, Susie, thank you for having me. Um, I'm really excited to be here. And also, I think you um, very much just in your intro, like really captured um, the spirit and the ethos of the book in terms of how I think Drew really wished it would resonate with people. Um, And to me, it's really about sort of inventing it for yourself. But in addition to that, like really embracing the imperfect. I think all our homes are going to look differently and, and that's okay, you know, and sort of really just embracing that and sort of rolling with it is really kind of the spirit behind the book. And I think you'll see, and hopefully, you know, if folks pick up their copy of the book, Rebel Homemaker, you know, we have like these really beautiful photographs inside, but we also have like very kind of pedestrian, like iPhone snaps that both Drew and I took. And that was like some of the thinking there to be like, okay, we have the aspirational photographs and wonderful food photographs by Graydon Harriet, but then we also have kind of what the real life looks like. And it's, it's so nice to be able to juxtapose those two things. So in the cookbook, Drew writes about her 30 meals of a lifetime. And in it is the, you know, predictable French laundry meal, breakfast at the Park Hyatt Tokyo, clam chowder Mm -hmm. at Pike Place Market. But two Mm -hmm. jumped out at me on her list. And one was number seven, eating a box of Kraft macaroni and cheese. I mean, haven't we all done this? With lots of Kraft I know, seriously. (laughs) A giant bottle of red wine and crying to sex in the city after my boyfriend broke up with me. Um, And then... And her number 16 is Pilar's Stovetop Scampi, and she talks about how it blew her mind. I would love <laughs> to hear about your Stovetop Scampi. So the Stovetop Scampi, I think, also is probably one of, I mean, I have many favorites, um, 
favorite recipes in this book. Um, but that scampi is definitely one of my favorites. I think it's very, it feels very special and festive because it is head on, but it also takes probably seven minutes to make. So it feels like this sort of fancy dish, but comes together in no time. And I think that's something Drew really, really appreciates. You know, she's just like, not everyone has sort of like the hours and hours on end to cook, but we can still make something that really feels special and we feel taken care of in a few minutes. So we do use head-on shrimp. If that doesn't float your boat, you can totally use head-off shrimp. It'll work equally deliciously. And basically what you do is just like kind of warm up some olive oil. You have some garlic slices in there, some chili flakes, and that really infuses the oil. And then one tip is that I actually like take out the garlic just so that it doesn't burn while it's cooking. So it's infused the oil, we take it out, and then we sear the shrimp probably like a minute and a half on each side and then we throw back in the garlic and it f- gets finished off with some butter of course <laughs> and some <laughs> white wine and it's just like this most amazing um, luxurious feeling dish and that sauce is like to die for I mean I would lick it off almost anything I think and it's just <laughs> it's very nicely balanced and it has a little heat in it and you know all this sort of roundness from the butter and I'm just getting hungry actually talking about it. <laughs> but I hope folks will give it a shot. It's really this sort of beautiful, beautiful dish. So another recipe on page 25, the soft scrambled yuzu kosho eggs with crisp mm-hmm. avocado mm-hmm. salad. It's a mouthful. You yes, and it Drew, is. <laughs> you and Drew encourage us to make room in our pantry for yuzu koshu. Can you describe this recipe and what exactly is yuzu kosho? If I'm probably so, saying it wrong. I, I mean, how I pronounce it is yuzu kosho, but I might also be mispronouncing it, I think, <laughs> and I hope that's the right way to do it. I was like, I feel like we should probably like attach a bottle of yuzu kosho to this book because we talk about it so much. Um, and it is one of our favorite condiments. So it's a Japanese condiment and it's essentially like a fermented chili paste and it has citrus in it. It has used the rind of a yuzu citrus. So yuzu citrus is typically from Japan or East Asia and it has this very like bright floral flavor to it. I don't know. It's somewhere in the cross between like a grapefruit and a lime, maybe. There's something very, very special about it. And basically what they do is they take the rind and they sort of ferment it with a little bit of uh, chili, usually like a Thai bird chili and some salt. So it does have some salt to it. So usually when I use it in things, I'm more conscious about adding more salt because it comes with a lot of savoriness and salinity packed in already. But it's one of those things that I feel like, first of all, I've not come across a person that has tried it that's like, oh no, that's not for me. Everyone is like, what is this magic? You know, and where can I get a bottle? It's one of my favorite things to give people to. Like I always have a few bottles at home, you know, unopened. And whenever I'm meeting someone new or, you know, seeing an old friend, I'll usually bring a bottle and it's just something that really transforms meals. You know, sometimes like there are ingredients that are so outside the box when you're looking at cookbooks and, and recipes that they're harder to get. But this is one of the 
those pantry items that it'll just like, you're going to start throwing it in everything. I use it on fish. I use it in noodles. I use it in soups. And it just adds this really beautiful depth to everything. And it feels a little extra special, you know, so we're trying to give breakfast a little more love. Do you think we can find it at Whole Foods? Is it hard to find? You can definitely find it at Whole Foods at this point. A lot of Asian groceries will carry it. And it's very, very easily available online as well. So Drew lived around the world for years. And since Mm -hmm. she didn't have a permanent home until her mid-20s, she wasn't very good in the kitchen. She was the takeout (laughs) queen until she met you. And you bonded (laughs) over Campbell's Cream of Mushroom Soup. Hers was her mom's tuna noodle casserole. And tell me about your memory of Cream of Mushroom Soup. Oh, it's... God, I feel like my childhood is so tied to that red and white can. So I was born and raised in Manila. I feel like I should back up and just say that, although I've been in the U.S. for quite some time now, but I was born and raised in Manila. And there are two things that my mother uh, would make for me when I was not feeling well. One of them is an arroz caldo, which is like a congee and it has chicken in it and ginger, like very soothing. And the other thing was just a can of cream of mushroom soup. She would do it like when we'd come home from the dentist and we had to eat soft food. And there's just something about that can and that soup that immediately just like resonates with being taken care of, I think. So from very, very early on, that is a soup that's near and dear to my heart. But funnily enough, my mother actually has her story with cream of mushroom soup. She had an aunt, I believe when she was growing up, that used to do these fairly elaborate dinners, I think fairly fancy dinners. And my mom as a child used to look forward to them so much because she said that their kitchen, like they just produce the most beautiful food and especially this soup, this mushroom soup that felt like the most luxurious, most decadent thing. And I think my mom was like 11 probably at the time and she walked back into the kitchen one night and she discovered in the trash can was a can of cream of mushroom soup and her mind was completely blown because she thought and she had assumed that they had just made it from scratch and she was like, oh my God, I can actually buy the God blessed things. So she would save up her allowance basically and buy herself a little can every so often so that she could sort of treat herself. And to this day, Susie, at this point, this is like, I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 years later for my mom, our pantry, whenever I go home, every time I go inside the pantry to this day is stocked with cream of mushroom soup. I think it's so touching that Drew calls you her safe harbor in a storm as she was (laughs) going through a divorce with two young girls. So were you neighbors? How did you connect? Mm-mm, no, um, you know, we really started, and Drew talks about this a lot, like we started in a working relationship. So I actually was working with her, like sort of developing menus and like a sort of food program for her. She was transitioning. She was moving from LA to New York and that's how we met. So it was a working relationship. But I think very much through exchanging stories, much like, you know, sort of the cream of mushroom soup and really bonding over food and food memories, we started to build more of a friendship together. <laughs> it's so funny how people meet. You never would have met. I mean, you never would have no, connected. Abso- no. And I, th- I mean, I don't think for either of us that, you know, like it, it's sort of hard to imagine, like looking back and I always say, you know, it really feels like the universe was flinging us together, you know, and Drew always says, you know, I was a woman who was born and raised in the industry in Los Angeles and I, Pilar, grew up 
in the Philippines. And I don't think either of us would have ever considered like building this kind of relationship. But the universe really sort of flung us together and then put these different opportunities in front of us. That being said, not with a lot of hard work. I, mean, I don't want to make it seem as if it was just all sort of chance. And But we ended up coming together in New York at the very particular time, I think, in both our lives. So I have a catering company called Kickshaw Cookery that I started in 2010. And sometime in 2017, 2018, I was actually considering stepping away from food. Um, my business partner that I had started my company with had moved to Texas to be closer to family. And I sort of didn't want to run my catering company on my own. And I think I'm a little particular about you know, sort of the vibe and who I work with. And I was really sort of, you know, gutted by that experience because we had such a wonderful working experience together and, and we're still very good friends to this day. She's one of my best friends. But the I think the thought of working so intimately with someone else was like a little bit daunting. And I was sort of taking a step back from my catering. And that's when actually the opportunity to work with Drew came about. I was a little hesitant and I was like, well, let's see, let's see where this goes. And I think that really marks a lot of what my relationship with Drew has been. It was, you know, there's these sort of very kind of new opportunities for me that I hadn't necessarily considered prior. So the show and also uh, working on the book together. And it's been this really phenomenal ride that I am incredibly grateful for and really, really excited to share with people too. In the Creating a Space Where You Love to Cook and Eat essay, you have a dialogue with Drew about how to keep your table unfussy and your meals <laughs> unfussy and thoughtfully prepared, which we need to uh, read because the holidays are here. So can yes. you talk a little bit about that? It's about being able to be present with people and not worrying about, you know, like the 65 dishes and being removed from your friends and family and guests and really just having it relaxed and easy. You know, Drew, she doesn't love formality. You know, there's no pretense there. And she's really about having things be like easy and fluid. And I think that the book really embraces that. So that chapter, which is like really near and dear to my heart, is really about a reminder for us all to kind of practice that and embrace it and 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 just be there for each other and present in a very particular way. So a theme that keeps coming up in this cookbook is recipes from around the world. Drew mm -hmm. grew up in a home that didn't have real meals. That's her term. Yep. yep <laughs> and yeah. uh, she learned about different cuisines by traveling and eating around the world. And she mentions that you're a self-taught cook. When did mm -hmm. you start getting interested in cooking? Getting interested in cooking, not probably till much later. So Susie, I actually started cooking professionally, quote unquote, late in life, but I've always always been a good eater. And many thanks to my mother because, you know, she always encouraged me to try different things. And we always had this rule, you can order whatever you want at a restaurant, but you have to finish it. You know, that was always like our agreement and, and same with at home. And so I always had the love of eating. And I think the sort of interest in cooking probably um, grew out of that, you know, and I had worked in the nonprofit industry after graduating college 
college for almost 10 years before I transitioned jobs, basically, and started my catering company. So it was it was actually much, much later in life. You know, I didn't have the opportunity to go to culinary school or to work in restaurants like most of the folks in the hospitality industry. But a lot of it was sort of reading cookbooks, really studying and trial and error and trial and error and failing at the dish and getting back up again and trying to figure out how I messed it up and then doing it over and just relying also on my palate to trust, you know, like being like, this tastes good. And I think people are going to enjoy this. That being said, I've been cooking professionally for over 10 years at this point. Oh my God, it seems so crazy to say that. So Drew's signature dish is harissa spaghetti on page 160. I have never heard of putting harissa in spaghetti. Um, but it makes sense because it's tomatoes, garlic, and warming spices. Can you talk a little bit about this dish? Absolutely. It's, it's I think, one of her favorite um, dishes for sure in the book. Drew loves heat. Right. And what I also appreciate about her is she's she has an incredibly wide palette. Um, so stuff like harissa paste, which is, you know, I think it's traditionally a Tunisian paste, you know, is not necessarily super familiar to folks, but she knows like it's this really, really deep smoky, delicious flavor that is great in the pantry. Again, like the Yuzuko show, you know, great in the pantry. And it's one of those things that's just going to add all these depth and flavor to a dish. And as we probably know, Drew loves her spaghetti. She just, she loves her pasta <laughs> very, very dearly. And this was sort of a marriage of those two loves, you know, and then you have like the the freshness and the pops of brightness from uh, the cherry tomatoes. And it's, it's a really lovely, really satisfying dish. I really do think this is a really nice like kind of entree into the book and really embraces kind of Drew's style. It's sort of like this like messy, delicious tangle of amazing flavors, basically. Talking about amazing flavors, I made your lemongrass beef skewers on page 113. Yes! And, and I tell you, that lemongrass skewer is a brilliant idea as an alternative to wood. Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, I'm so glad you made it and I'm so glad you enjoyed it. That happens to be one of my favorite recipes actually in the book and it's based off this really amazing Vietnamese dish on it's basically ground beef that is seasoned with all sorts of beautiful flavors. There's chopped lemongrass, there's a ton of herbs, there's shallots, there's a little bit of curry powder. It's a total party in your mouth. But as Susie, you were saying, it basically is, it's meat on a stick, but the stick is a lemongrass skewer. And that way you continue to carry through the flavor profile of the lemongrass that's actually in the beef. What I love about it, Susie, is that it, it's such a simple dish to make. I think we've referred to it many times. I'm like, if you make meatballs, it's kind of like making meatballs. You know, it might actually be simpler because you're not like soaking the bread in milk and there's no eggs and all this. There's no filler. It's just beef and herbs and that's it. And it's a really delicious dish. It's so much fun for a group or a gathering because people can sort of assemble their own because we like to serve it with some like lettuce cups or herbs and, and people can sort of just grab and go and bite. And it's one of those like super uh, crowd-pleasing dishes, I think. Everyone that has made it has really, really loved it. And, and we're really, really excited to be sharing that one with folks too. Now to my segment called Dream Dinner Party, where I ask you who you most want to invite to your dream dinner party and why. And for this segment, it can only be one person. 
So I haven't seen my family, except for my brother who lives in Brooklyn as well as I do. I haven't seen my family in almost two years due to the pandemic. They're in Manila and my current dream dinner party would be to actually have dinner with my mother because a lot of my love for food, love for feeding others and for cooking is because of her. It's it's how, you know, she sort of raised us and I haven't seen her in almost two years and I haven't been able to celebrate with her the fact that this book has come out, which has been a tremendous labor of love and also that I'm on Drew's show and, you know, it's it's been this sort of tremendous year, but I haven't been able to share it with family. So I would have to say, like, I would love to go out with my mother. Um, we would probably go to like a Mexican restaurant because that's her freaking favorite. She loves chips and guac and have like a big old margarita <laughs> and celebrate together. Oh my god, I'm gonna cry. I know. I think I think I got really emotional actually. I'm like, oh, I'm glad there's no video right now because all of a sudden I'm like, oh my god, I can feel it in my throat. Me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I miss I miss my family terribly. I hope I'm making them proud. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say in a world full of pretentious cookbooks, this is a <laughs> joyful breath of fresh air. Oh, I really appreciate that. And I'm sure Drew would too. <laughs> so where can we find you on the web and social media? So my uh, catering company is on Instagram at Kickshaw Cookery. And I'm also at Chef Pilar Valdez. And you can also find me on the Drew Barrymore show, which airs every weekday. And they also have a, a YouTube channel. And I'm a regular culinary contributor on the Drew Barrymore show. I'm part of, quote unquote, the Drew's crew. <laughs> um, and we're in season two of the show. To purchase Rebel Homemaker and support the podcast, head on over to cookerybythebook.com. And thank you so much, Pilar, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Susie. And thank everyone for listening. Follow Cookery by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.